So take yourself out of the moment and really look at, you know, what's the long-term plan? I mean, the long-term plan, and I assume it's for everyone, is we want the cash flow there, right? That, that's our buffer for when things go bad. It provides passive income. And then more importantly, it just, it buys you time for more and more appreciation. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. So Ready to Scale is our new second season here where we focus on the business side of real estate. So namely, we're going to talk about three key concepts that I like to call APS, Asset, process and strategy. So by listening in, you will learn valuable business principles to help your real estate business, whatever it may be, thrive and diversify. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to rate us and don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. So our guest today is Tom Shulcross. So Tom is the CEO of Now Serving Properties LLC, a Chicago-based investor who has acquired over 20 successful cash-flowing units across Chicago just since October of 2018. So Tom previously was a residential lender and then further exposed to the real estate industry as a business leader for major residential remodeling company. The key to Tom's growth trajectory is forming strategic partnerships to outsource the necessary activities. And we're going to talk about that as well. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Tom to the show. Hey, Tom, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Ellie. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. And we had a little chat before about you, you know, Born and raised in Chicago? Yep, absolutely. Been here my whole life. So it's home for better or for worse. There's a lot of great things about Chicago, a lot of things that could be better. And, you know, we're helping to strive to make some of that better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Chicago is a very interesting market. I would say it's, you know, it's a pretty big city. So it can probably behave like a core market in many regards. But, you know, I would love to kind of start and talk about the asset portion of APS of real estate. Can you tell me and the listeners, what is the type of assets that you chose to focus on? Sure. So, you know, obviously it's a very competitive market right now. So there's not a lot of just going out there, looking at the MLS and saying, great, this thing's going to work perfect and it's going to appreciate and, and so forth. That might work for some people, but we're, we're hoping to get better returns than that. So almost everything we buy is going to be something that's off market and has had deferred maintenance. Our rehabs typically run from, I'll call it 30K to about 100K. You know, I know that's a wide range, but there's, we look for something where there's, it's going to be a little messy. We're going to have to put some work into it because that's where that value add is. And then specifically on the assets, it's a lot of single families. We have a few small multi. The biggest property I have is a six unit. But a lot of it is these single families where 
There's deferred maintenance either from homeowner who just, you know, had the money to pay the mortgage, but did not have money to keep up with the house. Mm. Same thing with an investor. So an absentee owner, similar situation, you know, and that's, we're looking for that one where it's going to take us maybe two to three months to rehab. Got it. And since 2018, you've been doing over 20 transactions. You've completed 20 transactions? 20 units. So like, it's probably about 13, 14 trans. I have that six unit in there. We have a couple of flips as well that I don't count in the units. So it's, it's a little less than that, but yeah, we've been active at any given time. There's probably about two to three rehabs going on at the same time. Yes. You know, one to two or one to three listings out there, whether for rent or for sale, trying mm-hmm. to bring something in new. So we're heads down in the, let's get some systems in place. Cause when we, the first few months was very helter skelter and we're, we're getting a little bit better. I guess we'll cover that later, but yeah, the rehab part is a, a big chunk of it. And then time consuming. And that's where your risk can be, right? That's where you can lose 10K, 20K very quickly. Right, right. And then, you know, when it comes to single family homes and small multifamily properties, what made you actually make the move and start focusing on that type of of assets? Yeah. So I think it was just ease of entry. And that doesn't mean like this is where we stay forever, but it's you know, with multifamily, it's great. And there's guys who probably start out and they syndicate right away and they, they hit the ground running. I wanted to get in the game. I didn't want to wait around. I'm impatient. I always, you know, like to push the envelope and that was, that was the way to do it. And I know there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people who dog on single family for, and there's, there's legitimate reasons. You know, my thought process though, once you own like, let's call it 10 or 15, you can operate and manage that like a multifamily. That one vacancy doesn't kill you. So that was my goal from the get-go is like, hey, let's get this thing up to about 15, 20 units and evaluate where we are at that point. And maybe we do start to scale a little bit. But I had the, the appropriate contractor, the appropriate property manager. Like, you know, I found the right team that can handle the smaller multifamily and the single family. So we jumped in and, you know, maybe there was a better route, but this route's been working. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I think, you know, it's it really depends on where you're passionate about, where your passion is, and also what you feel more comfortable with. And sometimes you want to scale slower, and sometimes you want to scale faster. And it just depends on your business model, how big is your team, and like you said, how big is your appetite for risk as well. Let's talk a little bit about the strategy behind those deals, behind those projects. When you're purchasing a single family home or a small multifamily property, what's your strategy once you, you mentioned earlier that you're purchasing them, they're sometimes off market with a lot of deferred maintenance. So once you've got that property, what is the next step? What is the strategy here? Yeah. So the strategy, we want, we want to look at it, you know, first buy and hold is the preferred, you know, that's what we, what we like to do. If the numbers work that way, great. If he, could we potentially flip it and make a nice profit there? And then if that answer is no, obviously we, we punt and we move on to the next one. But the overall strategy is we can find something where a buy and hold in an area we like, an area we believe in, where we feel that there is going to be, you know, economics and, and jobs and so forth coming in and all those, I'll call them exterior factors that you want to take a look at. So the area is important to us. Do we have some sort of internal knowledge of the area as well? So is it an area we play in? You know, we're very skeptical of, you know, we're probably for as fast as we're going, we are pretty gung shy about different areas. So do we know the area very well? And then what are the numbers going to look like? And we talk about this a little bit in underwriting, but you know, what tenant is this going to bring us? If we look at this property, is this going to be in the top third of the properties we own? That's usually the question we ask. And if we feel that that answer is a yes, then it's yes, let's make this happen. Let's do this. If we feel that answer is no or iffy, 
we better come up with some justification to move forward with that. Mm -hmm. And did it happen to you that you weren't sure if it made sense to sell the property right away and flip it or to buy and hold the property? Where both scenarios were actually looking good. How do you make that decision? I always I buy and hold. Like I, I look at what's the 10 year plan here? Like, what are we going to do? You know, am I going to be happy that I have this investment 10 years from now? Am I going to be upset mm. that I let it go? So take yourself out of the moment and really look at, you know, what's the long term plan? I mean, the long term plan, and I assume it's for everyone, is we want the cash flow there, right? That, that's our buffer for when things go bad. Mm-hmm. It provides passive income. And then more importantly, it just it buys you time for more and more appreciation right? Like those two things are not mutually exclusive. They're, they're things you can have with one deal in itself. So, you know, when you do a flip, you don't get that. You might have money right away and that money can feed right. the business and that can lead to more buy and holds. Like, so there is a time and place for that. But, you know, we really try to take ourselves out of the moment and look at, all right, 10 years from now, what decision would have been better for us instead of like, hey, we could make a quick buck here. And maybe this is more relevant to the process side of things, but when you're trying to look at a deal and make a decision whether you would like to keep holding it for the next, you know, 10 or 20 years, what sources do you use to actually help answering those questions? Because obviously nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. But sometimes, as you mentioned, probably you have some inside information, quote unquote, being, you know, native, you know, to Chicago. So how do you make that decision? Sure. So... In regards to the neighborhood, and you mentioned it before, like Chicago is a kind of crazy market. You know, there's, I think, 77 official neighborhoods. There's a lot. And then there's like 200 or something or 300 communities. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, Chicago gets a bad rap in the media and rightfully so. There are some areas here I would never touch. At a macro level, we have net migration that's negative. There there are things that are absolutely true that, you know, would stop people from investing. All that being said, there are some neighborhoods that are still very, very good. And there's still people making a lot, a lot of money in whether it's single family, multifamily, whatever. There's still opportunity here. So we look at these areas like we get hands on the ground. We talk to aldermen. We talk to community leaders. We talk to street leaders. There's like captains on the block. We talk, we'll go knock on doors and talk to neighbors. Like we want to be 100% comfortable in an area and really do that due diligence. And then once we are comfortable, it's full steam ahead, right? Like you've done the analysis you know, and that comes more into like the system side of things, but you know, when something comes over that, all right, my rehab is going to be roughly this. I know I'm going to rent it for this. I need it to be at this price to make this thing work and let's make it happen. Like, because it's very similar to what you did two blocks over a block over whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. Right. And I think it's really interesting. It's one part that a lot of investors skip go to the market and talk to the people there. I remember when I entered a certain market, I just used to drive around and I stopped in certain areas and I just chatted with the locals. And they told me, yeah, I would not go any near, you know, a certain area or this is where there's a new project there. This is where everyone wants, you know, to live. I remember I even got... I got a lead on an off-market deal by just stopping a random person who was walking. And apparently he's a contractor and he just said, oh, I know someone is selling his, I think it was 350 or whatever units and or he's about to sell it. It hasn't hit the market yet. So I had, you know, I rushed there to take a look. But it's really interesting, the insights, you know, what you can understand and hear when you're just going there and not only, you know, behind the computer reading all those reports, but actually going there and understanding what's happening in the market. Obviously, living in Chicago and, you know, your entire life, that gives you a lot of advantage as well. Yeah, like I would, you know, for the out-of-staters, like you need someone on the ground. 
like you can't look at a spreadsheet and say, this thing looks great. Like you need, mm -hmm. whether that's your property manager, whether that's an agent, but I agree a hundred percent, like the boots on the ground is, is imperative. Yeah, absolutely. Every deal can look great, but if it's in the wrong side of town, it's a really, really bad deal. And if you don't know the area, if you're not, or if you don't have boots on the ground, it's going to be very hard for you to understand that this is, you know, a great area. And just an anecdote, you know, I, I live in Santa Monica, so we have some break-ins into apartments here and there, but it's it's a very, very safe area. I could not feel any safer walking down the streets. But then if you look at the crime report, it looks like I live in this crime zone because you have a lot of homeless people that get arrested near the water, which is kind of far away from where I am from just sitting on the bench. And so that's kind of on the flip side of it. If someone would just looked at Santa Monica and I don't buy anything here because of rent control and, and other issues, but someone, you know, probably would have thought, oh my God, I'm never going to, this is the most dangerous neighborhood. But yeah, you definitely need that touch, that inside information. Are there any specific areas in Chicago that you're excited about? Yes. Yeah, so when we're doing buy and holds, like we love, there's a little area down here called Pullman. We're very heavy on it. The areas around it are a little bit different, but the actual historic part, and I won't go into the whole spiel, but it's, it's a very historic portion of Chicago that's making a comeback. It's being revitalized by both the city and subsidiaries of the city. So they're pumping in jobs here as well. There's been a lot of, I'll call it those macro factors. It's been labeled as an opportunity zone. So we're hoping, we haven't seen the, the jewels of that yet, but we're hoping that it also brings more investors and more people with capital gains to come. So it's, it's one we're very heavy on. And when we go further north into the city, that's when we do a lot more flips just because the red numbers are harder to control there. But, you know, that's when you're looking at your typical, you can look at the schools, you can look at what, where things have been for the past mm -hmm. 20 years, where they're going in the next 20 years. We have a couple flips right now up in, I'll call it like North Center. So you're getting a little further west of the hotspots of the city, but still a very great area and, and you, just a better price point for a family to get in and not have to spend an arm and a leg. Right. All right. Well, that's very interesting. I think I have a very good sense of, you know, the type of assets that you're investing in and the strategy behind looking into either flip them or buy and hold. And obviously you're, you're inclined more to buy and hold for the long term than to flip. But if the opportunity presents itself, then you would flip. I want to switch and talk about a part of the process, the acquisitions process for you. And one of the things that I know about you is that you have a very specific underwriting and you, you know, you gotten very good at doing your type of underwriting. If you can talk a little bit about that on, you know, how does the underwriting process looks like and, you know, what are the different steps and what separates you from maybe other investors in the way that you perform your underwriting? Sure. So, you know, it's nothing magical, but when we first started out, like my GC and I would sit there and anything a wholesaler brought to us, we'd analyze, right? And that's time consuming, even though this is not multifamily, this is not, you know, an hour to analyze a deal, but it's still, mm -hmm. it adds up. And so we had to say like, hey, we just got to come up with specific criteria and streamline this as much as possible. And we're not at the point where we can hand it off to a virtual assistant yet, but that's the goal, like to just dummy this thing down. So like someone else can bring it to us and say, hey, this one makes sense, give it a pair of second eyes and, and make a call on it or make a call on what number we need it to be at for this thing to work. So what we've done is, you know, and we've modeled it off of existing, you know, we're a year into this now and we've been able to kind of model it about what are the real expenses, right? One of the biggest things in Chicago is it's, it's very tenant friendly, right? 
So you're going to need that buffer in case you have someone who's not paying. You just can't kick them out on the street. Like there's a big cost there. There's a lot of things where it's like, oh my God, my cash flow is crazy. There's a lot of gotchas though, right? There's a lot of ways where that can get eaten up pretty quickly. And what's the cost of that? So we've modeled off our existing engagements and we basically run it at, you know, here's what we think it is. Here's the upside meaning like here's what would be the perfect ideal world. And unfortunately, that's what too many investors use as their underwriting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we run a very, very, very bad model. Let's say this guy doesn't pay us for a third of the year. Let's say, you know, things go down by 20%. Let's say our appraisal comes in 20K low. Let's say that we go 10% over on rehab. And we pretty much run that all together. And on that lower tiered one, you know, we call it like a red, yellow, and green. On that red one, if it still is okay, where we're going to be able to cover our expenses, you know, in that worst case scenario, we're feeling pretty good about it, right? We're covered. If a recession hits, if we have a bad tenant, if rehab goes wrong, whatever, we've just covered all those bases. And that, that gives us peace of mind. We don't have to worry about that. What if process? And then on the middle one, we're looking pretty. And the ideal one, that's not something we want to bank on, but it's just to show like, Hey, does this have a bigger upside? Cause some of these areas, there's not much difference between the three, right? There's not a big upside the heavier the upside, the more loose we'll get on the lower end ones. So we kind of run it through those three models, which, you know, it's nothing fancy. It's just Excel sheets of, you know, and you plug and chug and you spit out three different models and, and you can look at, hey, this is ugly, good, and this is probably what's going to happen. Are we good in all three scenarios? And is there enough upside where we're okay taking on some risk with if things go sour? Mm-hmm. So I, I've rambled on a bit, but that's how we kind of model it. And it's, it's been based off of the deals we've done, talking to our property manager, really looking through the reports, not just, hey, we spent 250 bucks on a maintenance call. What was it? What went wrong so we can do it in the rehab next time? Like all those things just to try to streamline this thing as much as possible. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously the more robust of a process you have, the faster you can look at a deal and the more deals you're going to look you know, into it. And I'm a huge believer in creating a process. And, and I think what you said earlier about outsourcing the deal sourcing. So have someone to basically look at the deals that are out there in the market and perform kind of an initial, you know, check to see what deals might work. Can you share a little bit more about your thoughts there on how you're thinking to actually build, you know, this team? Because I think this is very crucial because that would free up so much of your time that you want to focus on the deals that are more likely to be good than just to look at everything that is out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like we're in a pretty cool place, right? Like, cause we're at 20 units, which is like a weird number to be at. I feel people are either like in the hundreds or at like three. Like, I feel like we're in that, that weird in between. So like we keep the last two months, that scaling conversation has come up over and over again. And you're absolutely right. Like we're way too far in the business. I mean, and just some personal background, like I'm still W2. Like I still have a job. I have a family. I have three kids, a fourth one on the way. Like time is not like plentiful over here. Mm-hmm. So with the virtual assistant, you know, one, like just the data scraping, you know, when we, we make calls out to homeowners, can they take, that's probably the first thing they can take care of for us. The deal analyzation, we feel like we'd still have to give a blessing over it, but yes, it would take care of part of that. And then the third one we've talked about as well is just paperwork, like all the paper, right. you know, once, once a deal hits, and this is where, this is where single family is not as awesome as multifamily, because I'm assuming the paperwork's similar, but like, I'm doing that for this little single family home, like all the paperwork and all the just, all right, we got to turn on the utilities. All right, we got to make sure the insurance gets binded. We, you know, we need to make sure all this, we need to make sure the property manager is aligned. We need to make sure the contract is there for demo on Monday. We need the lockbox chains. Like all those little tasks are probably the first to go to some sort of assistant. Like those are mundane tasks that are just repetitive with every single deal, 
you know, and then probably like the data stuff. And then lastly, it would be like the deal analyzation because that I feel that's one that I need to give up, but it's also the hardest to give up because you feel like you have more knowledge than just someone who, for lack of better words, is robotic. Yeah. And that's actually very key. I think the goal here, I think the way to do it is to just find someone who's smarter than you. Someone that you it's can teach hard. the pro- the process. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, someone you can teach the process, but also you know that you can trust them. And of course, you're going to review their work. But when it comes to underwriting, it's I'm, I'm very conservative. So I need to make sure, and I'm sure you're the same, that the underwriting is bulletproof. And I mean bulletproof from any mistakes. And we're human, so we're obviously going to make mistakes. But I, I totally agree that this is the hardest thing to let go of and to outsource. Because you have two things. There's the process itself of how you work and what things you check and where you, what are your sources for information. And then there's the underwriting itself. And that has to be accurate. Because if you're trusting someone 100% and they, they keep underwriting and based on that alone, you're, you're doing your deals, then you're probably not in a good place because what if they made a mistake? There's always got to be another layer of, you know, someone to check their work. But yeah, that's one of the most challenging things to let go of that part and to find people. But that's how you scale and that's how you grow. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. Like that's our next step here. You know, it's, you can take this thing so far. But, you know, you got to remember, like, why did I do this in the first place? What am I, you know, what is the end goal? And this is the vehicle to get there. And you can only drive the vehicle so far. Like, others have to be involved. And, I'm, you know, that's, it's the only way possible. Whether that's multi-single, right. you know, whatever, right. whatever the, the asset class is, like, the systems and the, you know, that whole e-myth type of thinking and thought process is, is 100% necessary. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being on the show today and, and sharing your thoughts and your experience with us. If any of our listeners would like to reach out to you, where can they find you? Sure. It's nowservingproperties.com. I'll shoot out the email address. It's just nsproperties, plural, 723 at Gmail. I'm pretty active on Bigger Pockets. You can find me there. I, mm-hmm. I like to write in the forums, especially about Chicago. So yeah, more than happy to talk to anyone. All right, Tom. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Ali. Have a good one. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.